Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by rockauto.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. And thank you, Alec Webb, and welcome everyone to MotorWeek podcast number 237. And uh, with me today and with us all remotely or otherwise is our senior executive producer, Dave Scrivener. That's me. Our writer, two-wheel and reporter, Brian Robinson. Hello, everyone. And our over-the-edge reporter and also our podcast producer, Greg Carlos. I'm here, and I'd like to note that my hat is in the forward direction, which many of you believe is the <laughs> correct direction. So I just want to put that out there. I have a vintage one on today. Mine's from a, an old uh, Paris auto show trip with Volkswagen. Uh, but um, it was clean, so here we are. <laughs> Uh, we have a lot to talk about. Dave's going to talk about a, a special trip he just came back from. We're going to talk about something that's happening uh, almost as we speak. The Jeep Grand Wagoneer concept uh, has been unveiled. And the 2021 Porsche 911 Turbo S, which will be the car that will kick off our MotorWeek 40th anniversary season. And yes, we were all children when this all started, weren't we? Well, I know Greg and probably Brian Robinson were anyway. Uh, not so sure about myself or Dave. Greg was born. Uh, yeah, I was. Uh, <laughs> he wasn't born yet. No, oh, yeah, just just a twinkle in his parents' eye. Okay, Dave, you just came back from really what was kind of a monumental uh, trip, uh, given all the restrictions that COVID nineteen has placed on uh, us and everyone else uh, out there. So why don't you give us a a little uh, update? And it was all in in the good cause of uh, automotive efficiency. Sure. Um, during our first um, green, tr green driving segment, I traveled um, from Baltimore to Fargo, North Dakota, and back um, covering the I-94 Alternative Fuels Corridor, which is a designation they've given to some highways in the country that have alternative fuel stations along the route, evenly spaced so people can fill up on propane or CNG or EV charging, fast charging. Um, it's not really meant to go point to point from Port Huron to Montana, like I-94 does, but to expand the capacity of regional fleets, perhaps, like transportation companies or bus companies, so they can go further afield than just our one little town that has one pump. They can find fueling along the way. That's what I discovered on the trip. Um, I took our long-term Fiat 500X for this 3,000-mile drive solo. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised. I had some trepidation going in thinking, oh boy, this little thing is going to be a clown car and I'll be bouncing all over the road and not fit in it. Um, but the adaptive cruise control really, I think, saved me from the awkward seating position in my, my feet, not getting cramped up and using the gas all the time. I didn't touch the pedal for hours. And the car did a real good job of adapting the speed to the people in front of me and around me. And I was able to focus on steering the car and, and doing the radio and things like that. Now, Dave, how tall are you? I'm 6'2". Okay. I'm 6. I haven't had quite the leg problem you had with him. I, but what I'll get back to the segment you did in a minute. What amazed me about the um, Fiat is how solid it felt at highway speeds. I mean, it feels like a European vehicle. It had enough pep to actually keep up and set the cruise at 75 and up uh, when I could. Um, which surprised me as well. Um, they would cruise along just fine. I found it to be a little nervous and prone to wind blowing at speed. 
and taking some of those long sweeping highway corners at 70 plus, it's a little bouncy bouncy and doesn't quite feel secure. You gotta, you gotta steer it the whole time and, and mm -hmm. work at it a little bit. Um, but I, it made fine, my back feels fine and it's, we both survived the trip. <laughs> So what about the, the actual experience along the corridor? Um, did you think that given the different alternative fuels, things were properly placed? Uh, did you have any real world experience with, um, I know you were out there meeting some EV owners. Tell us a little bit more about what you actually shot, saw. Uh, I went, uh, drove the Fiat to Chicago first and borrowed a Nissan Leaf. Um, press vehicle and did some shooting around Chicago, looking at EV charging stations. And around big cities like that, it's never a problem. But when mm -hmm. you get up to Fargo, they've just installed three new fast chargers. And from there, it's 200 miles to the next big town. Um, so that's a bit of a stretch for a regular EV. And you know, Tesla guys just got their supercharger network kind of up and going in that area, so they can cross the state. But there is actually a pretty active EV owners group in Fargo, North Dakota. I hmm. met a Leaf owner, two Tesla owners, a guy had an i3, which is kind of a, you know, half half. But they're very enthusiastic about it. They want to drive the EVs for all the right reasons, and they think infrastructure is, is coming, and the, you know, the utility people say it's coming, we're going to put more stations in, and a lot of them charge at home and say, you know, for around town, it's fine, just like any other city in the world. But we don't do a lot of long, long trips with our cars. So right now, infrastructure isn't a, a handicap for them. Um, other alternative fuels, I talked to a, a propane shuttle company that shuttled people to the airport in Minneapolis. And they said having the new stations put in allows them to, to run on propane longer. They're, they're dual fuel vehicles that are on gasoline and switch over automatically. So now I can fill up on propane, which is 80 cents a gallon cheaper these days and keep running cleaner and cheaper longer. So that's the kind of the, the advantage of the corridors is expanding people's regional presence. And I think it works. I'm glad to see that with all the hubbub about um, EVs that the other alternative fuels haven't been uh, left in the dustbin because for many organ, you know, types of vehicles and uses, they actually are superior. Yeah, we saw also a West Fargo school district just bought an electric school bus and mm -hmm. two diesels, and then doing a two-year comparison for cost analysis. And so far, the EV bus is running, they said, 9 to 20 cents a mile, and the diesel is 20 to 40 cents a mile. So mm. it's half the price to run it, but there's upfront costs associated with the EV bus as well. Yeah. They like to go all electric, I think, for ease of maintenance and low cost, things like that. Yeah, it does appear that the, um, the electric uh, aspect is gaining momentum. It's certainly, I've been pretty much a skeptic that it would happen as quick as it is happening. And now there, there was it just last week, somebody was even talking about a 700 mile range vehicle, one of the uh, new upstart uh, uh, manufacturers. So we'll see. Well, thanks very much. Yeah. Okay, uh, we all can chime in, I think, on this one. Uh, Jeep has been teasing and now has actually shown uh, a Jeep Wagoneer concept, which is close to a production-ready vehicle. Uh, they expect to have both the Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer, their first three-row um, SUVs since the Commander, which stopped being produced about 10 years ago. 
the new uh, Wagoneers should be out next summer. Uh, we've all seen uh, the uh, material and the videos, and they did a, a, a virtual preview. So what do you think about it? Uh, does it? Is it befitting of the Wagoneer historic name? How about that it's, one? It's a historic name, certainly. And I own a 77 Wagoneer. Um, it's not a three-row. I don't think it ever was. Maybe the later ones were. No, I don't think it I'm not sure. Actually, I guess I'm not sure about that. So I took the wood grain off of mine, which is heresy, apparently. <laughs> You've got to look to find the pieces of wood they put in it, in the headlight bezels and the, the roof rack. In the new one. In the new one. Yeah. Uh, I think it's an interesting-looking vehicle. I think it has a style all its own. Um, Wagoneer's a name as good as any. Sure. I had the XJ Wagoneer with the wood on the side, which – my spouse uh, loved to the day it finally had to be towed away for the last time. So yeah, I, I can I can get the nostalgia aspect of it. Uh, I, I, they didn't go with the the retro look like the Bronco and other cars yeah. that have done that. I think it deserves a, a new look and new style. Well, mm -hmm. I, I went to to um, the Lowe's or Home Depot with my old Wagoneer and trying to haul some four by eight plywood home and it stuck out the back like four feet. I'm surprised how small the thing was. <laughs> Supposedly full size back in the day, but it ain't. <laughs> Greg and Brian. Yeah, I was um, watching the live stream because that's what we do now. We live stream car reveals. Uh, <clears throat> but it, I was pleasantly surprised with how it looked inside and out. I think, you know, they Everything about the Grand Wagoneer we heard was it was going to be upscale, competing against uh, Navigator and Escalade and things like that. And uh, from what I saw, the interior is immaculate. I mean, it's it's a step above anything that FCA has done. It looks a lot like something you would see in a Range Rover. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of technology. Um, the other thing that they were a little bit um, tight-lipped about the powertrain, so the, the concept is a PHEV, but they wouldn't commit to saying that it's only PHEV, that it would even be a PHEV when it comes to production. I'd have mm -hmm. to imagine that it will have some PHEV eventually, a plug-in hybrid electric vehicle if people aren't quite hip to the PHEV nomenclature. Um, but they also have a ton of powertrains there, so I'm sure it'll have a V8 and a couple of different Engine choices. Diesel, certainly. Yeah. There's there's a V8 mule supposedly running around. There's been some spy shots of. Yeah, well, tagging, the Ram chassis. Mm -hmm. Tagging on to what Greg was saying, it's hard for me to get too excited about it. A, it's uh, at least another year away, and B, they were super, uh, you know, uh, not forthcoming with powertrain and mechanical details. If you read through the press release, it's all luxury. This would all interior. Out. And uh, screen size this, and I don't know, I'm just not going to get excited about that. I'll wait till I actually hear more about the functionality of the vehicle and uh, stuff like that. I mean, they make, they're making a really huge deal about having a passenger side infotainment screen. It'd be the first, I guess, mass market SUV with it. But I mean, even that we've seen before. Yeah, we've seen it. The, the Porsche Taycan uh, has an available passenger side screen. Right. But, you know, not an SUV. I do think we should mention um, that they also came out with the Wrangler 4xe, which is a plug-in hybrid. Yeah. Um, that's 25 miles of EV range, which isn't a ton, but I think we found that it's probably enough 
for most short commutes. Sure. Or short off-rail, off-road uh, yeah. travel. And from what they say, I mean, it's still capable, as capable as a nor traditional Wrangler, up to 30 mm -hmm. inches of water fording. It still has solid front and rear axles. I mean, they made sure that it was still a Wrangler first and foremost. That's important. Brian? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I would, I'm looking forward to it. It's just a matter of time before we get a plug-in Wrangler. And uh, I think it looks to me like they did it right. Uh, the ability to uh, get some EV miles, even save those uh, for when you get to the trail and, uh, you know, keep it uh, calm and peaceful while you're out there uh, tearing up nature. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they haven't, they haven't shown, they haven't brought their other two 4XE models. They have a um, you know, the comp was the compass and, uh, what's the other Renegade. one? Renegade. Renegade. Yeah. They've and been in, in global their, markets. I know. Even in their press release for this one, they tout European uh, stuff more than here in the U S we see yeah. it here, but, uh, you know, whatever works. So Dave, you think you would have uh, had any advantage taking a Wrangler 4XE on your trip? Probably not. Probably 3000 miles. That yeah. <laughs> I didn't have place of the charge. That I don't want to stop that off in the charge. <laughs> yeah. Which alternative fuel did you put in the 500X? That's what I'm curious about. Uh, I actually found ethanol-free gas and used that. Whoa. Uh, we don't see too much of that around uh, our home. All the high test out there is, is ethanol-free, or else it's E10 or E15 sometimes. Yeah. A lot of different uh, varieties out there. And E85 is pretty prevalent. Up there in the corn belt, because you see corn corn stalks for miles <laughs> driving across Minnesota and North Dakota. It's all corn. They love their ethanol up there. Got E85. Mm. Let's move on to something that I think everybody that's got any automotive uh, interest could probably get a little excited about, and I think our shop gets pretty incredibly excited about. And that's the 2021 Porsche 911 Turbo S. It's our kickoff road test for our 40th anniversary season, uh, 4001, which will start airing uh, around the U.S. the uh, Friday and Saturday and Sunday after Labor Day. And we always try and kick off our 40th season with really something special. And yes, it's usually something expensive and high performance. Uh, why don't we talk about this car? Was it a good choice for this year? Everybody's had a chance to get a load of it a little bit. What do you think? It's yeah, I spent a day with it and um, went for a ride with a Porsche enthusiast who has several other 911s, and we were both very impressed with it. And its balance of being very nimble and, and feeling the road, but not really harsh like their track models, it's, it's livable doesn't beat you to death for the performance. So uh, we loved it. I think that's kind of where the, and I, and I agree with you, Dave, I think that's the shortcoming on the track though, because we did take it to Dominion. Uh, I drove it there all day and it's stupid fast. I mean, it just bites and rips out of corners. Um, but it is comparing it to like GT models with Porsche. It's just a little softer. It doesn't feel quite right on the track. Like I said, it is fast. I mean, it's, it makes you feel like you're, you're a pro driver, but having driven the more track focused cars, it's just not quite there. Yeah, it can um, do it, but. Yeah, as, as a road car though, it's phenomenal. I mean, it's just, it's comfortable when you want it to be. It's, 
stupid fast to use that phrase again when you want it to be. I mean, we, I think we hit 60 in 2.6 seconds just over and over and over again. Oh. Yeah, they just keep refining the heck out of that thing and uh, making it better and better. And they're pushing the boundaries both ways. Uh, it's up to like 640 horsepower now on performance aspect, uh, plus pushing the boundaries in the comfort and livability as well. It's almost like a Corvette uh, driving it around. Um, but uh, the interesting thing was I'm digging through all these old road tests now. Um, and I went back to our original 911 turbo test and some of the comments people were making about this one were like exactly the same comments we made in our original 911 turbo. So I don't like know. Like 1990, Brian? Yeah, you know, so we're always repetitive. I hear that all the time, but uh, maybe that's the reason why. Stuff just keeps getting better and there's only so many words in the English language, I guess. I think I well, shot that test in France. Yeah. <laughs> You know, that's actually a good segue into uh, what we wanted to talk about a little in our lightning round, and we're really not going to put a clock on it. But because this is such an incredible anniversary, I mean, not too many uh, television series, let alone anything else, uh, makes it to a 40th anniversary, um, we are going to be doing a lot of looking back. So, Brian... How is this going to affect Brian, in case everyone doesn't real, realize it, is the master uh, uh, writer of most of the road tests. And how are you going to be weaving that into the tests? Uh, because we are going to try and weave bits of history in different ways throughout the show. Uh, yeah, it's been, uh, it'll depend on the vehicle. But yeah, some we tested really on, uh, early on. So it's good to make comparisons. Some, uh, it's, if it's a newer brand like Kia or something, you know, kind of talk about more so the uh, Korean market and or Korean brands coming into our market, stuff like that. Basically, we've seen a lot of stuff over 40 years and uh, trying to weave that into what's going on currently. It's, it's a challenge, but making it work so far. Dave, you're sort of uh, overseeing all of this. So uh, what do you got in plan? Well, for, for the first show, the Tur Turbo S test, I was able to get my hands on a, a modified Porsche 959 from a friend and we used that for a couple of shots. I got 30, 40 seconds of it. We'll put that at the end of the road test. It's kind of a, here's what Porsche was and still kind of technological tour de force and tie the two cars together and showed a pretty cool car from the past. And that's kind of a tie in for us. Um, other cars, like Brian said, we'll do, here's the car from 20 years ago or whatever. And our, we did a Pat Goss segment with a clip from him from the first show. And it was the same topic was still held true 40 years later. So <laughs> we'll tie it together. So Greg, as the youngin in this group this morning, are you surprised at how maybe how much or how little things have changed in 40 years, automotive wise? Yeah, I mean, you can look at it at several different levels. I mean, just the cars, it's obvious powertrains are all different. I mean, just performance. Um, I don't know if Brian off top of his head remembers what the horsepower was in that turbo, the first turbo we tested. Um, I want to say like 270. Yeah. Something and like that. Now, yeah. Now we're at 640. Insane. <laughs> and that's not even that much power. I mean, compared to other, you know, cars of that price range, you're talking about like a Hellcat has 707 yeah. horsepower. So, yeah, I mean that. And then from a production aspect, which I think we're all kind of interested in, just the different – the way we shot things 30, 40 years ago, um, 
the sheer amount of effort that went into getting some of those like exterior car shots while we're driving on the track 20 years ago. I mean, you guys can speak to it, how hard it was to, to mount to cameras. a cigar camera to a shovel and stick it off the side of the car. And just, just oh, my God, yes. And, and, stuff. and now it's a matter of just seconds of throwing a little camera about yay big and pressing record, and you have 4K video. That's yeah. incredible. It used to take us hours, I mean, an hour, let's say, to take a full-size camera, use the suction, big suction cups, have the um, uh, videographer hanging out the window in a helicopter harness, all sorts of stuff. Uh, we had race cams that NASCAR was using. They took a long time to set up. But um, we also had a three-quarter inch deck in the passenger seat. Seat built yep, in. That's and right. That 40 pounds. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, small, small cameras have just revolutionized, not, you know, video and also, of course, what we do uh, as well. But you'll see aspects of what everyone's talking about, looking back to the past, uh, just, you know, just a little bit in the rearview mirror throughout the show from the opening credits right through the entire program. Uh, and in what we say, very importantly, uh, just to give you a little hint that uh, there's a lot of history here, but one thing that I hope hasn't changed completely is the, uh, the American fascination and love affair with the automobile. I think like most relationships, it's changing, but uh, we're still a, a country that uh, likes the freedom that automobiles uh, provide one way or another. And everybody's going to have a piece on it. It's kind of fun to see our opening credits with all with the, the, uh, the old, old stuff's uh, in there. And I remember, Brian, when you were doing some of your very first um, uh, cycle test uh, in, in two-wheeling, that I think there was a bike at some point that you tested that had a zero to 60 of about 2.8 seconds. And we thought, well, we'll never get there with a car. And here we are. So <laughs> anyway, so I hope everybody will catch our 40th season, starting with 4001, second weekend in September. And over on the Motor Trend, uh, folks, it'll be uh, about 10 days later than that on Tuesday night. I don't have a date, but you can look up the calendar. We do have a viewer question, and this is a, an interesting one. I don't think we've ever asked this before, had it asked of us before. Uh, Elaine and her husband, who she didn't give us her name, his name, they're vacationing in the mountains, and they have a 2020 Mazda CX-5. While driving through the mountains, they've been using their cruise control to maintain speed, and they notice that what they think they're hearing as downshifts as they go downhill. And they want to know if that's okay to use cruise control in this scenario, and will it cause any excess wear? What do you think? I'd say, yeah, go for it. Um, the car is smarter than you are in most cases and how to do it. And driving down mountains, you don't want to ride the brake. There's, there's, I see Brian Robinson shaking his head no. It's not smarter than Brian Robinson, yeah. I guarantee uh, you. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think all cars are smarter than me. But, I mean, it depends how much it shifts. If you're constantly – I'm not – if you're just going down a, do, uh, down a long downhill grade, then sure, downshift. But if you're constantly going through curves and it's constantly upshifting and downshifting, I mean, that's definitely not excessive wear in your trans. You don't need to put it through. I would lock it in gear, a certain gear, and uh, manually uh, shift the gears. But certainly it does help on long downhill grades, as Dave said. Greg? 
Yeah, I don't think, um, and I'm not super familiar with the CX-5's cruise control, and most of them are pretty good, but I don't think all of them are necessarily built equally. Um, so it's kind of just like a situational thing. Um, if it feels like it, it doesn't feel right and it feels like it's wearing, it probably is. Um, but the downshifting, I think, is a good thing. It's, it, it's doing its job. It's doing the right thing. Um, but some systems, you know, especially crash avoidance ones, it, it can break for you. So, I mean, be cognizant mm -hmm. of that. I remember, yeah, and that's right. Some of these systems there might, you might be feeling downshifting, but it also may be applying the brake a little bit. But I remember one of our classic Pat Goss's, Goss's Garage segments when he was, had that question from a, a viewer, of course it was an older vehicle, about whether to use the brake or downshift. And he basically said, you know, it's a whole lot cheaper to put new brake pads on than to replace transmission. So, on the other hand, I'm sure these, uh, these modern transmissions are pretty smart and have been tested uh, um, you know, a lot. But I, I actually agree. Pardon? At the bottom of the mountain, I want some brake pad left. Yeah, well, that's, that's the other part. Yeah, I don't want them um, catching on fire either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think you need to use a combination of both. I think you know, what you said about using it, letting the, it, it operate on the long downshift is fine. I mean, long downgrade is fine but if you're into any corners put it in third gear lock it there and and tap the brakes and and kind of like spread the wear around if you will I, and i i think it's important to note that they test cars so much that they've tested them in these scenarios i would imagine without having seen them do it sure. but i don't think what they're doing what elaine and her husband are doing is the first time that car has ever experienced something like that in cruise control so I would feel safe about it. Yeah, I agree with you. So uh, we've come to the point in the program where we usually ask if anybody's got anything uh, that they want to rant and rave about. Uh, I don't know, Dave, is there anything from your uh, long trip out to the hinterlands that uh, you want to praise or complain about? Uh, you, uh, you, you've, certainly, <laughs> you've certainly done more driving recently than the rest of us combined. I did 3,000 in one week. And I've got six more thousand miles coming up soon for trips to Dallas and Tulsa for more energy stories. Mm -hmm. um, my trip was uneventful for the most part. Um, traffic wasn't that bad everywhere. Um, even the major cities, it wasn't that bad. I managed to pass through Chicago at the right time and miss the worst of it. Mm -hmm. Left lane bandits who kind of drive a little too slow, maybe, and won't move over. But that's everywhere. Always has been. <laughs> what about you two guys? Um, I'll rave about John Davis. 40 years, man. That's, oh, that's a long time you. on television. <laughs> yeah, it is. I feel it every morning, too. <laughs> the only thing that, and I thank you for that. Brian, anything from you? Uh, no, sir. I'm all good. Have we all three had the same boss since college? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my. That's another way to look at it. I actually, I, yeah. I haven't. Both so. of you two are my boss, so I've had the same two bosses since college, yes. Uh, uh, 33 years for me, John. Well, yeah, well, we had hair when it all started, or I did anyway. You got some? You still look pretty good, Dave. I do uh, – I, I, ha I have noticed I'm, – I'm obviously – I don't know if you – can tell I'm I'm up in the mountains right now. I've noticed 
and even worse, people that were bad drivers before, and I think we've talked about this in the last couple of podcasts, I've seen some things that I have never really seen recently until now, and it's because I think traffic's a little lighter, and maybe law enforcement's stretched too thin, I don't know. More people passing in the shoulders when they, they're not happy about the speed of traffic. And the latest uh, coming up here was passing in the turning lane. On, I saw uh, that three, a few times. Yeah, and it's like no signal, no nothing, and they're just gone for it. So if anything, this pandemic seems to be making people even less responsible uh, when it comes to uh, driving. And they think because there's lighter traffic, they can get away with it, I guess. So uh, I, I don't know if that's going to hang on once everything turns back to normal, but it's certainly a bothersome trend to me. But let's not leave everything on a negative. We thank you, everybody out there, for joining us for uh, what really is our kickoff podcast for the, the 48th anniversary season. And I hope you'll be watching Motor Week on public television stations around the country. You can uh, go to our website, motorweek.org, and pull down the uh, list from the top and put in your zip code and find out what time we air. Also, uh, we've been a mainstay with the Motor Trend Cable Network. Uh, most Tuesday nights, you can find us at 7.30 Eastern Time, and then again on the weekends. Check their uh, uh, website as well. Uh, we're on PBS Living. If you're uh, an Amazon Prime uh, subscriber, you can uh, watch us uh, streaming there. Basically, almost anywhere you've got a screen, you can find us, our MotorWeek uh, YouTube channel, youtube.com slash MotorWeek. We have about 2 million folks that tune into our different tests there a month, and we work very hard to make sure as soon as the show's air, within a very short period of time, the latest in segments. You can watch all the different types of segments that we do, our features, our road tests, our green segments, uh, our two-wheeling, it's all there. Otherwise, uh, we hope uh, you'll join us next time for our next podcast. We do them about every two weeks. And we want to thank everyone out there for all these 40 years for being a part of Motor Week. And wait a minute, before I go, Greg Carlos, Dave Scribner, Brian Robinson, thank you very much for uh, participating today. We also want to talk, thank Jim Bigwood, our audio engineer back at Maryland Public Television, for making us sound as good as we do. Greg for producing and our podcast creator, the one and only Bob Mixter. Till next time, I'm John Davis. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you right here on more Motor Week. You've been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by rockauto.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at motorweek.org. And watch Motor Week television's longest-running automotive magazine series each week on your local PBS station.